Hey everyone, good to see you here tonight. So tonight we're starting a new series called Threads. Um, and we're looking at some key biblical themes that start in the Old Testament and they're developed in the New Testament. And we're looking at, Jesus said that he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And so the Old Testament isn't irrelevant, but when we look through the lens of Jesus, we can actually understand how it applies to us. So that's what this series is about. Um, And so naturally, we are starting uh, from the beginning uh, with creation. So I uh, heard about a guy called Eric Erickson. I think his parents really didn't like him to call him Eric Erickson. Anyway, uh, he was a psychologist um, and he developed a theory of psychosocial development. Uh, In other words, uh, he suggested that there are eight stages of human development. And there are some critical things that we need to learn as people to grow um, properly. He proposes that during our teen years, um, our adolescent years, we'd explore our independence. We'd develop a sense of self, a sense of identity of, of who we are. And some emerge from our teen years with a strong sense of self, a strong feeling of independence. But others can emerge from that time with unsure beliefs, unsure desires and feelings of insecurity, confusion about who they are, confusion about what the future might look like. So he's saying, Eric Erickson is basically saying we all go on this journey of, of self-discovery, what our beliefs are that guide our behavior. And as I read this and I looked back on my teenage years, I saw that it was pretty true for me. When I was in high school, going through this stage of self-understanding and figuring out who I was, I sought to build my identity around something I was good at. Makes sense. Now, this wasn't exactly easy for me. (laughs) I uh, wasn't really good at much. I went to Oxley College, uh, which is pretty heavy on the academics. And to be honest, I am not super academic. Wasn't good at English, wasn't good at maths. Um, So I decided, well, if I'm going to find something I'm good at to build my identity around, I'm going to have to look outside of school. So I looked to sport. And the one sport that I was kind of all right at was soccer. So I trained more and more. I pulled all, poured all of my time and energy and effort into being better and better soccer player. I put more and more emphasis on it in my life. You know, I never wanted to go pro or never thought I could do anything like that. But I built my identity around the guy who was really into soccer. And it kind of brought me a bit of a joy and a sense of identity for a few years. Until I started to get really sore hip pain. It was strange. It kind of was dragging on for years and years and just got worse and worse and worse. And I was carrying this injury 
and I couldn't play at my best. So I went to go get it checked out. I got some scans on, on my hips, and I went to see a specialist, and it turns out I had this early form of arthritis. And I found out when I was 20 years old, and I was like, what? As if I've got this early form of arthritis in my hips, and I'm 20 years old. This sucks. But it turns out I had bone growths kind of in my hip sockets that were kind of rubbing the wrong way. And it would require two operations to get it fixed, get it all sorted. That meant a lot of time out of playing soccer. And in that time, my identity, my sense of self-worth was lost. I couldn't play anymore. Who was I without this thing I did, which was soccer? I didn't know. I felt lost. I felt like I was purposeless. So who am I? That's the question. How do I know what my identity is? Am I, is my identity just the sum of the things that I do or the things that I like? Am I just the sum of my achievements, the sum of my mistakes? Is that who I am? Am I just what people perceive me as? What I put on my social media profile, is that who I am? How would you answer this question? Who are you? Stop. We'll take a moment to think about that. How would you answer that question if someone asked you? Who are you? What first comes to mind? What makes you, you? If you can't answer that question, you're probably in very good company. Because I think our society at the moment is in an identity crisis. And we see the result of this as rates of anxiety and depression are just through the roof. But Christianity provides an answer that no other religion, no other philosophy can answer. And it's in the first page of the Bible. And it gives us an insight into answering this question. So if you've got your Bibles there, open up to Genesis 1, uh, verses 26 to 28. It's also going to be on the screens. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful. Increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God made us in his image. God made you. Let that sink in. He spoke you into existence. 
You were conceived because God made it so. You have been made by God and he knows you. He wants us to know him. We're made to be in relationship with him. And God has made each of us with inherent worth. That our worth has been fixed at conception. Because every human being is created in God's image. And an image is a reflection of the original. So because God is intrinsically valuable, people are also valuable. Because every person is made in God's image. Every person is valuable. Just imagine I did an amazing painting of the Mona Lisa. Uh, it could look better than the original. If I, I, you know, I've got such great art talents. Um, should have built my identity around that. Not really. Um, and I could have done, imagine, just imagine I did one that actually looked better than, than the original Mona Lisa. But you know what? It would be worth nothing. Even if it actually, even if you all agreed with me that it did look better, it would be worth nothing. It's because the paintings of Leonardo da Vinci are worth so much because of who the maker is. The Mona Lisa is valuable because it was made by da Vinci. It's not because it's the way that it looks. It's because it was made by da Vinci. And we have been made by God. And so we are valuable. This means that your value is not determined by your achievements. You are not valued by your illnesses or your health. You are not valued by your physical abilities. You're not valued by your mental health. Your value does not change even if you actively try to make yourself more or less valuable. It doesn't change. It doesn't matter what size you fit into, your value is fixed. It doesn't matter what you've done, your value is fixed. It doesn't matter what others think of you, your value is fixed. Our value doesn't change because God has made us in his image. And God values you even if others don't. So the second thing from this uh, passage we can see is that when God made us in his image, God made humanity his viceroys. Let me explain what I mean by viceroys. A person that is appointed to rule a country or a province as the deputy of the sovereign. That's the... That's the term, uh, the definition for a viceroy. So God has empowered his people to rule over the earth on God's behalf. We have responsibilities to rule over the rest of creation under God. We have that responsibility as people made in the image of God. We have the responsibility to steward creation. That actually means that we should care 
about our world. We should care about our carbon emissions and our deforestation and sustainability and etc. But we can't go about making change just like the rest of the world. Our motivations must be because we care because it is God's and God made it. That must be our motivation to steward creation. I remember um, in ceramics class, you guys are all going to laugh at me. I made this in like grade nine or something. I found it um, in like my shed and it's probably got spider eggs or something in there, I hope. Um, it's, this is a little bit embarrassing that I'm bringing this, this piece of pottery out uh, to show you guys, but I made it. And uh, when I finished, actually, when I finished school, um, yeah, well, I kind of gave it to my mum. I was like, mum, you can have this. I don't want it. I don't really like it or think it's valuable, but mum, you can have this. This is just a random crappy piece of pottery. Um, and then mum was going through this whole cleaning phase and she's like, oh, you know, you should really keep this. I was like, I don't want it. Like, just get rid of it. Just throw it out. And she refused to throw it out. Because I made it, mum valued it. Even though our world is in decay, even though people hurt each other, we need to value life and creation because it's been made by God. Please never bring this up again. So this means we also have an even a greater responsibility to care for the people in our world. How much more should we care for something that has been made in God's image? All humanity bear his mark. So when we treat people badly, we're treating God badly too. People are God's representatives. Jesus said in Matthew 25:45 and he's he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. So the way that we care for people and each other, and especially how we care for those who are less fortunate than us, it shows what we really think of God. So how do we go about caring for our world? How do we go about caring for each other? Because it's our responsibility. It's everyone's responsibility because we're made in the image of God. But we mustn't seek to fill that responsibility, responsibility like the rest of the world. Our motivations must be we care because God made it. But what we do tend to do is we just turn into a keyboard warrior, ninja, and just, you know, get on Facebook and, uh, you know, start arguments on Facebook or try to just get our opinion heard. Um, and it has a term, I think, it's called slacktivism. It's a, I think it's a real thing because I found Google had a uh, definition for it. Action performed via the internet in support of a political or social cause but regarded as requiring little time or involvement, e.g. signing an online petition or joining 
a campaign group on a social media website or application. Slacktivism, it's kind of, it's the easy way out. We might feel like we're having some kind of contribution to caring for our world, caring for others, but really it's just maybe how we're perceived and how other people see us. Caring for our world and for each other becomes more about being right or more about hating on the opposition or getting our opinion heard than loving those who are suffering, suffering or vulnerable. So as we engage in creation care, we need to ensure that our hearts and motivations are in the right place. And I think this is a pretty hot topic at the moment, or has been in the last few months. And so the church, we can't stay silent on things like creation care and things like global warming. We need to talk about it, otherwise the world will define our, the way we think about it. So we need to talk about it. Uh, there's a quote um, that I think really nails down really well how our attitude as followers of Jesus should be as we go about creation, care and caring for others. It says this, One sign that our hearts are going astray is when the daily battle against the evils of poverty and injustice begins to erode our inner spirit. We lose confidence in the quiet effectiveness of the kingdom to change our societies. Our idealism quickly turns to cynicism. So they're saying idealism, we need to be encouraging with positive change that has hope. And I think of the slogan, make poverty history. You know, it's saying that our situation might not be great because there is poverty, but you know what? Poverty still exists, but let's make it not. And I think that is a really encouraging and positive way to think about change. But I think in the media in the last few months, there has been and a great example of cynicism. And that person said, how dare you? You are failing us. We will never forgive you. The same person also said, I don't want you to feel hopeful. I want you to panic. I want you to feel the fear I feel every day, and then I want you to act. That's a pronouncement of fear and doom. And it's not a worldview that Christians can affirm. It's not a Christ-like way to enact change. And it's something we shouldn't emulate. Because we know how it all ends. It doesn't end with ultimate destruction. It ends with complete restoration. So yes, let's see change in our world, but we don't need to sell our souls to try and make it happen. So our identity, founded in the image of God, has inherent worth. We are valuable because God made us. 
Our identity also has responsibilities to care for our well, to care for each other. But we also have another responsibility. And Jesus reiterates this in Matthew 28, 19 in the Great Commission. When he repeats the call to fill the earth by saying, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. So we also have the responsibility to help other people to come and know Jesus. This means we don't have to discover our own identity like a choose-your-own-adventure book or that episode of Black Mirror on Netflix where you can like choose your options. It's not something that we can choose. Our identity is not like that. We have already been given an identity by God. You have already been made with a purpose. You don't have to discover it. You've got it. To care for our world, to care for other people, and to help others know Jesus. This means that you have an identity that is intrinsic to you because you are human. You have an identity already. So how are you going actively seeking to make disciples of Jesus? Do you invest your time, your energy, your effort into seeing people come to know Jesus better? Because this is all our responsibility. It's not just my responsibility as a pastor or Pete's responsibility as a pastor or just for the super spiritual. We are all called to make disciples. We're all called to help people in their relationship with Jesus. So stop and think, how are you going with that? One of my sisters, um, oh, I thought about not saying her name or not saying who she was, but anyway, uh, started to, yeah, she started to build up a bad reputation in my family. Whenever she would take care of someone's pets, um, something always bad happened. Uh, First time she was house-sitting my other sister's house, and then one day all the chickens just went missing. I think it was probably taken by a fox. Another time she was looking after her friend's guinea pigs, and then one night they just all died and just went stiff. So now, like, whenever she holds my son Isaac, I just start getting a little bit nervous. <laughs> uh, just joking, she's great with babies. Um, she doesn't have the greatest track record with looking after things, with stewarding things. And the reality is we are all not very good at looking after our world, at caring for people, and helping others to know Jesus. We like to avoid accountability. We like to avoid our obligations and our responsibilities. But we have been installed as viceroys on earth, but we have rebelled against the one who has placed us in our position. We have become rebellious rulers. Just like Adam and Eve neglected their responsibility by eating the fruit, we too try to define who we are on our own terms. 
Humanity was empowered to rule. We are empowered to rule by God. But we have taken that power and used it for our own selfish gain. And it becomes all about us, all about me and what I can get. Instead of how can I use what God has given me to serve him, it becomes how can I just get more? How can I benefit myself? How can I put myself above and further than others? And that's been the story in the all history of time since Adam and Eve. So what do you do with your time, money and energy that God has given you? Are you being a good steward? Or do you use what God has given you to try and construct a false identity like I did with my soccer? Or do you use what you have to serve your God-given identity? Are you trying to desperately suppress your God-given identity? Or are you living out from it? Because that is the new life that God calls us to live. To live out of our identity that God has already given us. So we've been created in God's image, installed as viceroys, but because we have rebelled against God, God's image in us is broken, it's tarnished, it's ruined. And God's image in humanity is whittled down to maybe a basic belief in some higher power. It's been whittled down to a basic belief of some general sense of right and wrong. Like everyone knows murder is wrong. But as I said before, the narrative doesn't end with that. We've all stuffed up our responsibilities. But we know that there is a better ending. And it's not even just restoration. It's not even just returning to the Garden of Eden. It's better than that. It's glorification. We'll unpack that in a moment. In 2 Corinthians 3, 16 to 18, says, But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So a veil, simply a material that covers your face. And the Apostle Paul here is saying that if we do not trust in Jesus, there is a veil that blocks us from meeting with God. The relationship is not reconciled. We are living as rebellious rulers in God's creation. But if we turn to Jesus, we can have restored relationship with God and we are free. Verse 17, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom from what? 
freedom from our responsibilities? No. Most certainly not. Freedom from the condemnation of being the rebellious ruler. We have been found guilty and rightly so for trying to construct our own identity. But for those that turn to Jesus, Jesus has taken their guilty sentence and served the punishment on our behalf. And he did that on the cross for us. And so we are no longer rebellious rulers in the eyes of God, but instead heirs of God's kingdom, sons and daughters of God. We have been adopted into God's family. Romans 8.17 says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. See, in Jesus, the rebellious rulers become adopted sons and daughters. And we are given the Holy Spirit as the confirmation, the down payment that we have been adopted. See, God's intention is to not just make life like it was back in the Garden of Eden, but for us to share in God's glory. So when we read Genesis 1 and we look at the creation story, we need to realize that the creation is, in a sense, unfinished. There is a greater destiny for our world and for us than what we read in Genesis 1. It's a greater destiny than what we experience now in our life. And that is the glorification. Romans 8, 20 to 21 says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. All of creation is waiting for something more. Glorification. This is the ultimate state of perfection, where God and humanity can meet face to face. And this was initiated at Jesus' first coming, but will be completed when he returns. And this is what we often refer to when we talk about heaven. So we can experience one degree of glory when we turn to Jesus, but it doesn't stop there from one degree to the next. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, beholding the glory of God are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Well, the literal is from glory to glory. Jesus, the perfect, complete, full image of God, he is the perfect representative, the perfect viceroy. And as we behold him, like we look at ourselves in the mirror, as we behold Christ and look to him, we will be transformed to be more like Jesus. Transformed into a fuller and better representation of God. Not rebellious rulers. Not just rulers. But sons and daughters 
that carry out their father's will. And what is the father's will? To care for our world, to care for people, and to help others know Jesus. And this is the new life that is found in Christ. If I can get the band to come up. This is the new life in Christ. Life with inherent worth and dignity. Life with responsibility and purpose. Life that is forgiven, not condemned. And life as sons and daughters instead of rebellious rulers. A life that is transformed into being more like Jesus. That is the life we have in Christ. So my hope and prayer for us tonight is that we would turn to Jesus. That we would behold him. We would look to him and be transformed from one degree of glory to another. So we're going to take a moment um, of contemplation and time to think. I want you to ponder these three questions. Have you been trying to suppress your God-given identity? Have you been trying to construct your own identity rather than embracing what God has given us already? What does it look like for you to more fully embrace your identity as a son or daughter of God? What does it look like for you to more fully embrace that you are an heir to the kingdom of God? That you have intrinsic value and you have been adopted and chosen by God? And what does it look like for you to more fully embrace your God-given responsibilities for our world, for people around us, and for discipleship. So we're just going to have a few moments to think about that as the band plays.
Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are blown away that you would die, you would send Jesus to die on the cross in our place, that you would become sin. You who are perfect, who had done no wrong, so that we might become the righteousness of God, that we might become sons and daughters of you, heirs to the kingdom of God. Heavenly Father, help us to hold on to this as our identity, that you have chosen us, that you have called us as sons and daughters, that you have made us in your image, and that that is all we need for our sense of worth, for our sense of identity. We don't need to look around us in the world because we have you. We don't need to rely on our achievements. We don't need to get down about our mistakes because you have given us a fixed value. And you saw us so valuable that you would adopt us into your family. So Jesus, help us to live from that place. Help us to go into our weeks this week knowing that we are your sons and your daughters, knowing that we have our identity found in you and who you made us to be. Help us to not get swayed by the things of the world, by peer pressure or what our colleagues at work are doing or saying or thinking or what we see on social media, what we see everyone else doing. Lord, help us to not get swayed and weighed down, but help us to hold on to you and the truth that you have given us. 
that you have given us your son. You've given us a purpose, an identity. So lead us and guide us. Guide our steps, Jesus. Help us to behold your face and to be transformed into the image of God. As we sing, reveal yourself to us, Jesus. Make yourself known to us because we want to know you more. We want to be transformed to be more like you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we sing.